0: Hey Security Peeps, happy Friday to everyone. We are back again live with two amazing people. First, my co-host Chris Folan. Say hi to everyone, Chris. Hey, everyone. And the awesome and fantastic Kip Boyle. Say hi to everyone, Kip. Hi everybody. <laughs> so, Kip just started a brand new podcast called The first, Your Your Cyber Path and it's yeah, how to get right. your first cybersecurity job. What's amazing is that last week, I believe, Kip posted, Kip has another podcast, he'll talk to you about that too, but he posted this awesome LinkedIn post about the cybersecurity talent myth, and it got got a lot of buzz, it's very popular, and so we immediately connected with Kip. Chris listens to his other podcast and said, hey, can you come on and talk to us about providing the hiring manager's perspective on breaking into security, because that isn't really the perspective that we get a ton of, we get a lot from people who are on the ground. And it's one of the reasons why Chris and I started this podcast because so many people are trying to break into the industry. So Kip, take it away, start out first with how you became a CISO and a VC so and all that, and then talk to us about what made you um, create this podcast and what we sh- what we should be looking for in the future. Okay.
1: Yeah, sure thing. Um, well, I, gosh, this is so cool to to be here with you, too. I really appreciate it. Um, everything's going really fast right now, and it's kind of fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, today I work as a virtual CISO, but I um, actually got my first CISO job quite some time ago. It was um, 2003, and and I was a CISO for seven years at an insurance company uh, based here in Seattle, where I live. And um, and that was a fantastic experience for me, um, all the things that I was able to do, n- not just um, because, you know, the role is really strategic and super interesting, um, but also because the insurance company that I worked at actually owned uh, a whole bunch of other companies, too, a, a debit card and credit card transaction processor. Um, they had a, an ownership stake in a local community bank, uh, a credit union, um, an IT service uh, provider. And so I got to really learn all the different angles of, you know, how does how do you do cybersecurity and financial institutions and uh, credit cards and debit cards as a retailer and as a transaction processor? So it was just it was fabulous. A really Really enjoyed that. But um, but but kind of how I got to that point was I uh, I went into the Air Force. I was a second lieutenant in the Air Force and uh, I had a, a bachelor of science degree in computer information systems. So I was just this computer guy. And when I went into the Air Force, they said, oh, great, we need computer guys here, work on, this, uh, <laughs> work on this project and help these scientists figure out how to Im- improve these air-to-air missiles that we're, um, that we're shooting off all the time. So, uh, so I did that, and, and it was a classified uh, project. So I had to sort of pick up along the way, you know, how, how do you do that? How do you protect the data? What are the rules? Um, what can you do? What can't you do? So forth. Um, and so I, I, I just backed into it. And, and the good, the good news for me was I liked it. Uh, everybody else hated it and thought it was annoying and difficult and uh, they didn't want anything to do with it, but, but I liked it. And so they said, well, great, you do it all. And so I got, <laughs> I, got I got tons of experience uh, figuring out, you know, how, how do you do this? And this was before the internet really became like a common thing for, you know, ordinary people. Um, this was back when the internet was really in the, um, Yeah, kind of the dark ages, I guess. Um, Everybody was using dial-up modems and um, it was actually not legal to sell things on the internet. There was a a commerce prohibition at that time because it was considered to be a research resource and they didn't want it to be all fouled up with, you know, profit uh, seeking. (laughs) And look where we are now. years later. (laughs) Look look what we've done to it. (laughs) We messed up the joint.
2: (laughs) So,
1: back, yeah, so yeah, so I guess the bottom line is I backed into cybersecurity a long time ago, but it was a great fit for me. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think that it kind of really appealed to two things that are deep inside of me. One is I I really enjoy computers. I just think they're fascinating, and uh, and I just never get tired of learning. You know what you can do with a computer and how it can help you. I'm particularly interested in the intersection between computers and business. You know how can I use technology to solve business problems? That's what I love. Um, and then the other thing is. Uh, you know, based on the way I grew up, I really had a, a deep hunger for feeling safe. Um, I, I didn't have all the, you know, all the um, the support systems, you know, when I was a kid, um, that I would would have preferred to have. So I, I think I've, I've always been drawn to jobs and work where, you know, it's about protection, and it's about safety. And so, you know, that really uh, fills, you know, something deep in my soul. And so, you, you know, putting those two things together, and it was just like, all right, this is what I'm going to do.
2: So yeah. how, how do you keep current with all the changes since it was just a research <laughs> platform?
1: Yeah, well, you know, in the beginning, it, it was difficult to stay current, but not really impossible. I mean, you still sort of had to pick something to focus on. Um, so for a long time, I was just interested in network operating systems and TCPIP. And that was sort of the, the focus of my work. And so anything that sort of came into that field of view, you know, I would be interested in. Uh, I learned how to, to use a, a, a packet uh, you know, analyzer, um, how to uh, set permissions on a network share and, uh, you know, kind of how, how does it work? And what's the difference between doing it on Unix versus Windows NT and, you know, all that stuff. Um, but these days, I mean, it's just proliferated like crazy. And, and it's not possible, at least I don't know how to stay up with, you know, with everything. But, but what I try to do is I try to get exposure to to a lot of things through the Cyber Risk Management podcast that I co-host with Jake Bernstein. And so we get to kind of, you know, uh, bring guests on or focus on specific topics, um, you know, and that allows me to at least, you know, have um, a semi-intelligent opinion about (laughs) a lot of things. Um, So that's what I do.
2: And as a ciso you kind of have to know a little bit about everything so for someone coming into the field how how do you advise them to choose or to be that generalist uh, to choose their path right now
1: yeah well so that's that's a that's a huge that's a huge it's a deceptively huge question that you just asked me <laughs> um and and it's one of the reasons why i started my new podcast is because that's a really hard question to answer in a very little amount of time i know because i've i've been trying to answer that question as concisely as possible for years because i i keep you know getting asked that in fact just the other day um there's a a woman that i work with um and she sent me a message and said hey my sister's son is graduating from college he's interested in cybersecurity. will you talk to him i'm like (laughs) okay (laughs) uh you know that's just one example but um But what I think it is, just to answer your question directly, um, what I think it is, is um, uh, if you want to find a really great cybersecurity job, you, you need to know yourself. All right. And so, you know, so when I was able to answer that earlier question, you asked me, like, you know, how did you get into this? You know, why? Why? Why do you like it? It's because I knew I knew who I was as a person, and and I was able to say, "All right, let me find a job that's you know going to line up really well, that's going to fit with me, and is going to play to my strengths." And so that's the first thing that I say as a hiring manager, you know, is, is I open up a, a job posting, and what I'm doing is I'm trying to find people who are going to be a great fit for that job, um, and I'm and I'm doing different things to help them uh, figure that out through the interviewing process. Um, and there's so many different jobs out there. Some of them are, are highly technical and and require deep knowledge of technology. So if you don't like computers, you know, I, I don't even know why you would even try to go for those those kinds of jobs because I think you're just gonna be miserable, you know, trying to do something. I think some people are drawn to cybersecurity because there's a perception of prestige. You know, it's like it's really cool to say I'm a penetration tester or whatever. Or the, I mean, the money, you know, is much better than um, than than typical. And so, you know, so there's other reasons why people kind of get starry eyed and, and, and say, oh, I want to go into cybersecurity. It's the hot thing, the cool thing, the thing that pays a lot of money. I mean, I get that. Right. I've seen all that. Um, but, you know, once once you s- decide, look, I want to really f- figure this out, then I then you've got to really look at deep inside of yourself and say, you know, how am I going to how am I going to line this up? And um, and so, you know, that's how I like to start answering that question is you're you're kind of dating. Right. That's really what this is. If you're just chasing the money, you know, um, I don't think I can help you very much. You know, and if you're just if you just want to do it because it's cool, I don't think I can help you very much. But if you but if you really want to explore that fit and you want to figure out, like, how do I do that? I can help you.
0: Right. So, Kip, when you so talk, walk us through what made you. Post that post and talk about your new podcast and what what will we learn from it?
1: Yeah. So um, I just got tired of trying to answer that question. Um, You know, how do I how do I break into cybersecurity? Um, I, I got tired of trying to answer it, not because I was tired of the question, but because I was tired of feeling like I never really did a good job. Of answering that question. And so I thought, right, so I'm going to find someplace, some other resource online or somewhere that that I'll send people to. And then they can they can figure it out. Right. And I thought if I could just be a good traffic cop and just send people to the right place, then you know, I'll 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 have I'll have helped them. Right. And so I started looking. And what I found was kind of amazing. Uh, What I found was, is that there's there's a lot of conversation that's going on uh, on the internet about how do I break in? I mean, your guys' podcast is a great example. And I looked and, and I continued to look for uh, other examples. And what I found was there's there's one perspective that really matters the most, I think, and it's, and it's dominantly missing. And that's the hiring manager's perspective. Um, because as a job seeker, it's great to talk to people who are in cybersecurity, but but just because somebody has a job as a vulnerability management specialist or security systems administrator, I mean, that doesn't mean that job is a good job for me. And so I just saw people getting really frustrated and confused because, you know, they, they were learning about jobs and they and they didn't know if, if that was a good job for them. The other thing I saw that was really um, off-putting to me was... There was a lot of cases where somebody would say, hey, how do I get into cybersecurity? And the person responding was a jerk, to be, to be honest. Um, and they would say things like, well, if you have to ask me that question, you're not worthy like you should go google all this stuff and figure it out on your own and i thought oh my gosh you're like that's not welcoming at all and right. we've got millions and millions of unfilled jobs and we're all like getting stressed out and burnt out because of all the work that's falling on our heads and it's like we need more people so to to you know to be to act that way towards people who are just trying to figure out what's going on i was like well there's no way i can send people to, you know to forums like that and so the bottom line is i said you know what's really needed is a hiring manager's perspective and since i can't find one and since i have experience doing that that i'm just going to create a podcast where i can talk about that and um and then i quickly realized that that an online course would really um would really be helpful so i'm going to start one of those as well
2: that's pretty um, awesome from, from the hire, from the hiring manager's perspective do you feel that How do you feel hiring managers are approaching this problem? Do you feel that they're looking for that unicorn? Do you feel that uh, enough of them are open to look at the raw talent and develop them or somewhere in between?
1: Well, it's very individual. And and so I I said something a little earlier when we were talking, I said, it's kind of like dating, right? Finding uh, a great cybersecurity job is kind of like dating. And the reason why I believe that is because I've talked to a lot of uh, hiring managers, I still do, and, you know. Just as much as every job seeker has their own perspective that they're bringing to the interview process, every, every hiring manager is bringing their own perspective. And so um, I could hire an, a candidate for a position and say, wow, what a great candidate. I want to give this person a shot. But another person could sit in my chair as a hiring manager and conclude with the same candidate, like, no way, I'm I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna go forward with this person. Um, so it's highly customized, and so I think some people are looking for purple unicorns, and um, and they're willing to wait for the perfect purple unicorn to show up. And then I see other hiring managers who feel more maybe more anxious about leaving their positions opened and unfilled. And so they just sort of hire fast and you know don't do as much due diligence, you know, making sure that the good that the aptitude is right and the fit is there. So I, I see it all over the place. And I think the reason for that is because again, hiring managers are just human beings who bring their own filters to the process and um, and it's not standardized.
0: I think that also, I mean, those are such valid points. And I think that depending on the size of the company that you're in and the amount of budget that you have also matters. So if you're in a smaller company and you really do need that unicorn to move your project along or to, to, you know, you don't have the bandwidth to be able to absorb junior people and you only have budget for like a handful of people, then yes. Yeah, you definitely have to go for that versus some of these bigger, larger companies where you have two, three hundred people in the security department. Then you should, you know, quite frankly, they should be leading the charge with bringing in junior talent Mm. all the time, like dozens of people to be able to kind of get them up that
1: chain. I think so. I think so. But, you know, Renee, what I've noticed in the course of my uh, of my work experience is a few things Um, as a group. Us hiring managers, I don't think we do a very good job with building talent pipelines. I, I just don't think, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, um, of examples of somebody doing that really well. Um, and, and, and having career paths for people to follow, uh, I don't think we do that very well at all. And so the other thing that's going on right now is, quite frankly, a lot of companies have more money than they have time. And so if you have the money to lavish, you know, a, a, a really market competitive salary on somebody, then you know what? You can get good talent and you can get it fast, but you've got to be willing to pay that top dollar. And um, and so that's that's an approach that some people are taking. And I think there are hiring managers out there that would love to be able to bring in somebody more junior. But I think the conflict for them is they're saying, oh, my goodness, I'm crushed with work. Where will I find the time to mentor somebody like, you know, I mean, so they don't I think that's one of the big barriers for why it's hard for entry level jobs to be created and to get people in those positions.
0: So what do you think some of the solutions should be? Because if every if we have 90 percent or I don't know what the percentage would be, but if you have all of these, you know, pressed, stretched leaders and hiring managers that are out there and it's one big, mad scramble all the time. Then when, you know, when do you get when is there kind of like that break where you can say, OK, I have to reach back and do this or else I'm just going to run out of people altogether. And we'll be talking about these millions of open positions five years from now yeah. when we could have done something to grow this town yeah. in the meantime.
1: Well, I think there's a lot of systemic problems. So even if even if all the hiring managers out there were fabulous and they were um, talent uh, pipeline builders and and everything was, you know, operating correctly. I mean, the truth is we still have a gap um, and that gap is is widening over time. It's not getting more narrow. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that in my experience, um, a really competent cybersecurity person, no matter what their role is, um, is somebody who has to have a a fair amount of, ex- of experience before they start doing cybersecurity. I mean, that's as I look in the rearview mirror, that's what I see. Um, I mean, so take my path, for example, I, I worked in computer support as a programmer um, and just as somebody, you know, to, who just keeps the computers running. And it took me a couple of years to find my feet and to to be good at, you know, just the basic job of, of you know, of shepherding computers and making sure people could use them. And then I could build on top of that with cybersecurity um, capabilities. So, so I think, you know, that's a systemic issue is that you just can't take people straight out of college and, and put them in a, a role, maybe as a SOC analyst or something. I mean, I think... I think maybe there are some entry-level jobs where where that's possible, but I, I don't think we've done a very good job of standardizing it. Of And one of the reasons why I call my podcast Your Cyber Path is because I thought about, like, there are job seekers out there that are looking for a job and a path to get that job. And I thought, well, so why, why don't I try to help by making paths and destinations um, for people so that they at least could be productive in trying to meet the hiring managers where they already are. Um, So anyway, uh, so just to recap, I mean, I think hiring managers, even the best intended ones still have a lot of things stacked against them.
0: Right. Right. Autumn Collins on here says, "What's the point of getting your bachelor's and master's degree in security if no one will hire you?"
1: <laughs> so, yeah, quite frankly, I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I let me validate that question because I know people who, um, who, uh, who had some IT expertise, and they thought, "Well, I'm going to go into cybersecurity, and the best way to do that because I have my bachelor's degree is I'm going to go off and get a master's degree." And they did, and I know this this one woman in particular, and she went off and got her master's degree, and nobody would hire her. And then so she said, well, I'm going to do a security certification. So she did one. And still nobody would hire her. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, you know, what? what is wrong here? You know, um, I knew that she had talent and capabilities. I knew her when she started her master's degree and I knew she was good on the job. And I just thought to myself, what's broken here? And one of the things that I think is broken is, is that universities are, are, are saying, oh, you know, let's train people to be, you know, cybersecurity professionals. Let's have bachelor's degrees and master's degrees. But I really don't think they've been talking to hiring managers, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. Um, And so they're they're you know, I think what they're doing is just kind of chasing the tuition dollars, to be quite frank. I, I don't, think they're being deceptive or insincere by offering these programs. But I really just don't think that they've really talked to hiring managers to find out what they really are looking for, because it's there's a big mismatch.
0: And I think that's what's so shocking about all of this. When Chris and I started this podcast, we, you know, it was so surprising to me being a recruiter, hearing about these millions of open positions and seeing getting all of this Chris and I would get all of these people from LinkedIn reaching out to us saying, can you mentor us? Can you show us Mm -hmm. how to break in? Can you show me? And I was shocked. I was like, wait a minute. There's all these open positions. You have a degree, you know, you just got this brand new minted new, you know, cybersecurity degree from a master's program and a bachelor's program. I would think you would just be scooped up. Like they would have all these roles and and I was trying to figure out the disconnect. And I'm, I'm with you, Kip. I think that there is some kind of gap where, Either an internship needs to be baked in, some experience needs to be baked into these programs so that hiring managers feel confident when they come in and they're looking for this entry level person, because at the end of the day, we know that these are entry level roles. Yeah, um, that, that, you know, that people feel confident that, you know, the degree, Matt, it means something because it's some some experience baked in. There's some things baked in and we can put you into an entry level, mm-hmm. you know, m- maybe not only a stock analyst, but something else, too. Yeah, that we're not we know, you You know, we know you don't have all the experience. You just got right. out of school.
1: <laughs> right, so. right, right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um. So there's absolutely this mismatch. And I think the other thing that hiring managers are struggling with and some don't. And I'm going to tell you about somebody who doesn't. But one of the things they struggle with is this idea that if I take on junior people, I'm going to pour time and money into them and effort into them. And I'm going to, and I'm going to train them up and then they're going to leave because somebody else is going to recruit them away from my team. And then I'll be back to square one. And I don't want that. Like that would feel bad. And I'll feel like I've wasted my money and blah, blah, blah. And I understand, you know, why somebody would feel that way. But, um, but you, you've got to let go of that as a hiring manager, you cannot keep yourself trapped in that way of thinking. So I, I hold up the example of T-Mobile so the chief information security officer over there for, for quite some time now is a guy named Bill Boney. And Bill has, had all these um, unfilled cybersecurity positions, and, and he knew from previous experience that... Um, the only way he was going to fill those jobs was to take on some of the burden of training people up. So he went over to the University of Washington, and he f- created a formal internship program. And he got to know the uh, the leaders of the different um, cybersecurity uh, degree programs that were being offered. And so he built a ta- a talent pipeline that would bring graduates over from the university, put them in seats where he had a chance to evaluate them for their potential in, during this formal internship program. And for the ones that didn't work out, you know, it was a handshake and a thank you and, you know, be on your way. And he didn't feel like it was a waste of effort um, because, you know, he just didn't think like that. He knew that yeah. that the, that the, the, the path for success for him was he was going to have to spend some of his company's money uh, training people up in order to know whether or not they should stay around for a longer period of time.
2: And that, that pipeline, um, which is part of the systemic problem needs to actually start earlier. So um, even back to middle school or even younger showing that the children that are coming through the education system, that cybersecurity is something that they want to do to the young boys, to the young girls. Um, I recently presented at uh, my son's elementary school and it was the girls that had the most questions. <laughs> they were the most interested and I love seeing that because if you show have them have interest early on, then they can aspire to it. But then we also have to uh, show them that there's leaders in the field that they can look towards to and that they can aspire to and see that, yes, I can be successful because there's successful men. There's successful women in this field doing the sort of things that I'm interested in. Right. So you have to build that pipeline really early. And yeah. the T-Mobile example is perfect. Um, some of the other things that we've talked about is, is that apprenticeship position. So maybe someone straight out of high school that um, you, you bring them on really early. There's a, a formal education part. There's the on-the-job training. And you can get them in for a lot lower of a rate because right. you're, you're you're investing in them and they understand that as part of the process, but right. you also know that in in four or five years that those people might leave, but that's part of that pipeline. You're you're constantly bringing right. people in during that process. Yeah,
1: there's this great meme on the internet, right? Where and I see it bouncing around on LinkedIn all the time, it, and it goes something like, you know, what if I what if I train my people and they leave, and then then the, uh, the other side of that meme is well, what if you don't train them and they stay?
0: <laughs> well, they're gonna they're gonna leave anyway. I mean, yeah. the, the, the bottom line is, if anyone's paying attention to talent and um, millennial talent and Gen Z talent and just talent as a whole, if you look at the statistics across the board from executives on down, most of these roles are two to three years. Like nobody yeah. is really sticking around anywhere from the CISO going down anywhere longer than that amount of time, yeah. which is a challenge in and of itself. Because if I'm a C, if I'm sitting in that CISO seat. And I'm thinking, hey, I only got two years in this, two to three years in this spot. I want to quickly move things along. So I get it from that perspective. Then on the other hand, you know, like you just laid out, Kip, with the, the, the pipelining and the growing the talent and all of that. It's like, how do you get them both done? Yeah. Um, you know, so it is a bit of a conundrum. So Amber says here, by not giving someone a chance, it's just further further their progress and wanting them to give up and not want to be in cybersecurity. So I know she's one of the people that I believe got a degree in the the space and a a number of people are struggling trying to break in Yeah, and they're doing all these various things. But after a point in time, it's like, well, does this even make sense to continue this forcing myself kind of paying because at this point you're paying with time you're paying with money right you're you're paying consistently you pay to get this degree so you've outlaid all this money and you're not seeing the investment by someone taking a shot
1: yeah well i think there's a greater societal theme that that's been reverberating through the american economy and and you know I, i think in other countries um maybe this theme isn't quite as strong but in in america um you know, this whole idea of loyalty between workers and companies, right, has been diminishing over time. And so, um, and so there's this kind of, you know, perception that, uh, I, I as an employee don't owe you anything as an employer and the employers are saying, Hey, look, we don't owe you anything, um, as an employer, you know, um, we're not going to hold your hand. We're not going to be paternal. We're not going to, um, you know, uh, make sure that you're doing all the right things at the right times to get promoted. Um, you know, we're going to put the onus on you to uh, mentor yourself to oversee your own career path. Um, you know, there's not going to be a pension. Here's a 401k. And so, um, so this whole idea of, of companies, you know, being, um, being trainers, being mentors and that sort of thing and helping to grow you up. I I think it's running contrary to the, to the larger theme that, that, that I'm describing. And, um, you know, so that's not helpful.
2: It it definitely is not helpful. And I think that's part of the problem as to why maybe in the States versus in Europe, um, you have that as a bigger problem. Because if you expect the employee to develop themselves, when you're ready to go, they'll just go. But if you're investing in them, they will feel that, Hey, if I continue to stay here, I will keep growing. I will keep learning. And there, there there, comes a time in that equation where when they give more than you're receiving, then it's maybe time to go. And the same thing should be on the employer where if the employer is giving the employee more than they're receiving back, that then that relationship has come to an end. But yeah, if there's no give and take, it's not really wor- helpful. I,
1: I like that you use the R word, the relationship word, and that's something that I think I, I keep trying to um, impress upon people is, you know, um, don't look at it as a job, don't look at it as a as a way a way to get a paycheck. Yes, it's those things, but but if you go into it looking to it at, looking at it as. I'm seeking a relationship with a company, one that I'm going to do things for and that who's going to do things back for me. And so, if you're a job seeker, you know, as much as possible, you should be trying to interview a hiring manager for that, um, you know, for that uh, capacity to to be in a relationship, um, a work relationship, right? Where there's give and take and back and forth, and I do this and you do that. But if you go work, if you're just chasing money and you're just taking the next, you know, high paying job that comes along and you're not, looking for that relationship dimension, then it's probably not going to be there.
0: Yeah. But I think that, I think in in your space, what you're, you know, with these people trying to break in that all of this is so very helpful and they might not even understand what you just described, you know, like when you're, when you're so new and you just don't know what you don't know, all you know is that there were, I, I saw some ads on TV or I saw some stuff on, you know, on LinkedIn or you I know, watch
1: Mr. Robot. I watch whatever.
0: <laughs> this looks cool. Yeah. It looks interesting. I think I can do it. I sign up for this degree program. They take me, they say I can do it. I mm-hmm. get up to the other side. I did everything that they asked. Now where's the jobs. And it's a it it's, it would be very frustrating. I mean, I when I was in school, going through school and all that and working what have you. It would be very frustrating for me to get out of school and then there's no opportunities, or there's opportunities, but I'm standing behind a glass and I can't get into them. It's yeah. it's the most frustrating what? thing.
1: In six months, the student loan repayments will begin. I need a Wait. job <laughs> right. now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get it.
1: I do understand so, that. I mean, I've I'm a dad. Um, my wife and I have six kids, and three of them are grown up and out of the house. And our oldest has graduated from college, and we've got two in college right now. And so, you know, we're talking with them on a regular basis about how much student debt is reasonable and um, and what are they going to do when they graduate so that they can get meaningful work. But but work that will also help them stand on their own two feet economically. And um, and so it's a huge challenge. And the economics are very different from it was when I uh, when I went through through college. And um, and sometimes it's hard for me to see that just because. You know, um, that's just not, you know, the, the, the place in life that I'm at, but, um, but, but I absolutely, acknowledge it. And so, you know, it's easy for Kip to sit here and say, you know, look for a relationship with a potential employer. (laughs) Um, you know, sometimes it's just about, Hey, I got to get the paychecks, you know, going, I I get that no fault, no judgment. Okay, Great but you do need to understand what that means, right? You do need to understand that that means that the loyalty factor is going to be diminished or non-existent and you're just going to have to manage that situation for what it is.
0: Yeah.
2: And I think when you walk into that situation, you also have to plan for the next step yourself ahead of time and plan your development to get to that next step. Yeah. Um, One of my, I'm going to have a talk with, at RSA. And part of that is figuring out where you want to be in five years, where you are now, and then how do you get from where you are to where you want to be and start progress planning your career?
1: Yeah. Well, that gets back to the idea that companies don't plan careers for their people anymore, generally speaking. And so that's something you have to take upon yourself. And if you've never done that before, then um, you know, you you just don't know what to do. And so I I I think it's great that you're gonna that you're gonna give a session like that and help get people oriented. And that's the purpose of my online course is to do that as well as to help them understand, you know, um, for better or for worse, for what right or wrong. And no matter what the reasons, the job market for people trying to break into cybersecurity is what it is. So the question is, is what are you going to do about it? Because you're the you're the only variable in this equation that you can actually control. And so what can we do to help you become more powerful, more capable uh, in the situation that you uh, either find yourself in or that you're seriously considering entering?
0: Well, Kip, I really appreciate you doing this because honestly, we've heard so much frustration and your point, what you just said is like, you're the only person that you can control, Right. And we can all try to do, we're all obviously trying to do our parts to, to to make this better. But at the end of the day, people are breaking in and we've had them on the show and we ten, we want, we bring the reason why Chris and I initially started and brought, brought the people who, uh, we're broke, breaking into the industry, the ones that are doing it right now, like when within the past six months, like we always reach back to Charles Karanja, who he was I don't know if you had seen him on our podcast, but he was one of our first he actually he was the first person to come on and he had just broken into the industry like within six months. And he was talking about his first job, but he talked about the struggle and he talked about what it was like to break in and how he had, I don't know, applied to 100 jobs and gone to all of these different, you know, meetups and what Mm -hmm. have you and how it really, really took tenacity to break into the industry. And I think why he and so many of the others have resonated with people so much is like they feel like they might be halfway there, you know, like, or you might be two thirds or you're right there and then you give up right? Instead of he had to persevere. He had to keep going. And yes, you might be putting in 99 applications, but that hundredth one might be the one to get you there. <laughs> or you went to four meetups this week. The fifth meetup might be the one to get you. I know. You know to to yeah, kinda it's like it's, it's a
1: grind and you don't know when it's it ever going to end. And, yeah. and that's very demoralizing and, and, and very, um, very difficult for people. I mean, you've got to have perseverance. You've got to have grit. Um, and, and, um, and oh my gosh, I mean, you've really got to have a lot of passion. Um, it's, you almost have to be irrationally passionate about it because yeah. you're just pouring so much effort into it. Um, so I, I, absolutely validate, you know, that, um, that it's hard, it's harder than it should be.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're, uh, you know, what we, Chris and I have been doing recently is bringing on people like you and, uh, just Monday, right. We had, what do we have on on Monday? We had another hiring manager on Monday giving Great. his perspective as well. So we've been doing these special editions to get more people like you to show and share what you look for. So when you're looking for a talent, you know, so we got we got it from the peers, the peer-to-peer, people right. who just recently broken in. Now we want to hear more from you all to say I'm a CISO. When I hire people, this is what I look for. When I, you know, when yeah. I was in my prior roles, this is what I look for. So,
1: and I really want to encourage people to continue. If you're a job seeker, you want to break into cybersecurity, pay particular attention to the hiring manager's perspective. Seek that out. Look for it everywhere you can. Realize again that you know that that people are you know, different. Hiring managers are different, but um, but that's you know that's really I think where you're going to find the gold nuggets.
2: Yeah. Sean Thomas was the hiring manager that we had on, and he talked about how um, in his internship program, he doesn't look for the most qualified person. He looks for the person with the most potential because he could get the most out of them. They could get the most out of him. He understands that they're going to move on, and that's what he looks for. That's great. um, in his resume, when he looks at their resume, the top half of the, the fold is what he looks for. That's usually where he makes his decision. So those are the sorts of things that our guests love hearing. Um, and typically, we, we, we wrap up with like one question. So if you had to summarize all your advice into one piece of sage advice to give job seekers trying to break into the field, what would that be?
1: Yeah. Um... Know why you're doing this. Be very, very clear about why you want to break in. And that's going to really inform um, how you go about doing it and, and what you're seeking. You know, know what you're seeking also, um, you know, what role is it that you want? Um, and that's these are all the things that I'm going to explore um, in, in my podcast and also um, in the online course that that I'm going to release soon. Would it be OK if I, if I told people a little bit more about that? Please. <laughs> we want you to. Yeah. yeah. OK. OK, great. <laughs> that's so, <how> here. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so here's the thing. So everybody who's, who's listening, who's watching. Um, so the first thing that I would that I would ask is, if you could give me a little bit of help, then um, then I think I can do uh, something good for you. So what I need is to know is what's your number one question? about getting a cybersecurity job. So if you're willing to share that with me, then um, then I can. I think I can build a really good online course for you. And if you do share that with me, and if you give me your first name and your email address, then I'll put you on the roster of students for the first course that I do, and it'll be completely free for you. You'll have paid for it by giving me your question and by um, giving me feedback on your experience going through the first course. And so I've got a, a very simple survey up on SurveyMonkey. Um, and I've got a, I got a link shortener to kind of make it easier for me to tell you um, where to go. But if you go to b.link forward slash cyberpath, right? So let me spell that out. It's the letter b.link forward slash cyberpath. And Renee and Chris, if you could put this in I'm the show notes. Yeah. <clears throat> that's great. So just go there and, and just drop your number one question in. Give me your first name. Give me your email address. I'll put you on the roster. Um, you're also going to get a copy of my Amazon bestselling book as a, as a thank you, as an additional thank you. Um, and it's called Fire Doesn't Innovate, the Executive's Practical Guide to Thriving in the Face of Evolving Cyber Risks. Um, and, and read you know read the book. Read part one of the book, especially. It's going to, I think, help orient you towards the business person's perspective on cybersecurity and, and, and why it's valuable. Um, so that's that's the thing that I would ask from folks. If you want to check out my, um, my podcast, my new podcast, I just dropped the first episode today, uh, this morning. And if you want to find that, just go to anchor.fm forward slash your cyber path. And what I like about Anchor FM is that um, there's a button there. So after you listen to an episode, you can hit um, a button that has message on it. And you can actually uh, uh, give me a comment or, or you can record a question. And I would love for you to do that so that I will know, um, you know, how how I am helping or how I'm, you know, maybe I'm missing something. And 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 I, and I love the idea that I can talk with you people in the podcast audience. I, I just think that's great.
0: Yeah. Well, we are definitely going to put those, uh, Chris is putting the links in now. And then when this is over, we will also put the links out there. I also want to share just some of the comments coming through. Uh, Cody Wyatt says, I'm to the point where I've asked to voluntarily learn and do work for a role to help gain the experience. And it's like like people really don't care to help. I know not everyone, I guess I haven't talked to the right people yet. So people are saying, you know, they're trying to volunteer because we've had all, you know, we've had people come on, we've had managers come on, we've had leaders come on. We talk about, you know, volunteering in the industry, doing your own work. Um, Cedric says to facilitate people breaking into the industry, it's important we emphasize how wide the domain can be. So awareness, GRC, architecture, blue team, et cetera. Applying right. to bigger companies can also give an easier way to learn with colleagues and finding a mentor. So yep. Cedric Levy Chaton, says that, which is a fabulous comment. Um, Amber Williamson has been talking about, you know, it's been tough for her to break in. Autumn Collins, she's going to reach out to you because she's Great. been having a tough time too. George Sprague is going to be mentoring some people. Ah. So Everyone is here chiming in. This is a, an awesome group of people. We have a ton of people on here. There's a lot of great chatter. So Kip, thank you again for being on with us today. We really, really appreciate it. We we appreciate what you're doing. We're totally an ally. If you provide us with any more details and information, we'll continue to get it out there. Right. And we gotta have you back in a cup co- when when the when the, um when the course is ready. So we'll have you back
1: on. That would be fantastic, Renee and Chris. Thank you so much for having me here. And uh, people uh, who are listening, you know, please spread the word. Uh, I want to help as many people as I can.
2: Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Kip.
1: Thanks,
0: Kip. All right. Thanks, guys. See you guys next week. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.